Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, we're recording episode 115. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast. It's called A Gift from Adversity. And this is available on Amazon. A Gift from Adversity's subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I published this book, I got a lot of messages from a lot of people sharing their adversities, and I felt compelled to start this platform as a podcast to talk about adversities, but not only that, tools that people use to overcome the challenges and a gift that came from it. And I'm very, very grateful to have over 100 episodes and guests from all over the world. So tonight, I want to invite our guest. Hello, Ben. Thank you very much for coming in to A Gift from Adversity today. Thanks so much for having me, Jury. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So let's start with your name and where you're coming in from today and what you do. And if you have any social media or website that you want to promote. Absolutely. So my name is Ben Kintish uh, and uh, I am calling in from Maryland in the United States, a little town called Columbia. It's actually Maryland's second biggest city. Though fun fact, we have no mayor. So we're an unincorporated city. I don't know what that makes us, but we are a place and uh, it's a nice place to live. Um, The project that I'm going to share about a little bit tonight is my musical. It's called Life Review, the Hospice Musical. And it's a musical comedy inspired by my real life experiences as a hospice chaplain. Uh, The social media stuff for that, the website is called, is Life Review Musical. That's all one word, L-I-F-E-R-E-V-I-E-W musical.com, lifereviewmusical.com. And Instagram is at Life Review Musical. If you check out the website, uh, you'll be able to see a trailer about the musical and get in touch. Uh, after hearing more about the project, perhaps you'll you'll want to learn more. Um, and uh, even though when we have the interview segment and, and talk about adversity, I'll be speaking specifically about my own creative struggles. Um, we may also talk a little bit about the uh, fictional character who I wrote, who also, like every good fictional character, goes through his own uh, character evolution and deals with his troubles as he goes on his way. So little preview there. Well, thank you so much, Ben. Before we go into the first question, which is the adversity, I just want to um, ask a couple questions. So are you a musical director? Do you do music yourself? Do you sing, dance? Um, several of those things. I'm not a music director. Um, I was the creator of this musical project. Um, I conceived of it while working as a chaplain. Uh, I was meeting all of these uh, interesting people, hearing their stories. And I said one night while calling my wife, I think these stories want to be songs. She said, get writing. And that night I started writing the songs that would 
eventually become the musical. I have partnered with uh, several different composers. Uh, the words come easier to me than the music. So I do the lyrics primarily. And I wrote the script along the way. Um, so that's that's the role I've, uh, the creative role. And then of course, as the main creator, um, I've been the lead producer, helping this little musical churn along, uh, bringing it to different kind of venues and festivals and so forth. And of course, sharing the word, excuse me, with the general public and appreciate opportunities like this podcast to, to share a bit about it in that way. Sure. And then when is musical playing and where? Right. So we're still in early development. Uh, while it's been nearly 10 years since the idea originally germinated, uh, we had a couple of great workshop performances just before COVID. Um, and you'll hear a little bit more about that hiccup in the development process when we talk about adversity. Um, but since um, I guess you could call it the thaw from the pandemic, uh, I had the pleasure of presenting a one-man version, a condensed version of the full-length work uh, at the Asheville Fringe Festival. So did a couple of live performances there. And I'm now doing arra making arrangements this summer for uh, live performances of different types in the fall, winter, and spring of the coming year. So part of the work of talking on podcasts um, is to build awareness and connect with people who haven't heard of my musical yet uh, and uh, telling them about it a little bit. Um, you know, the, the project, like so many creative projects, it is vivid in my own imagination. I've seen it clearly for quite some time now. And now it's, it's my job to help share it with people by sharing the music, sharing the stories, and um, inviting folks to discover more by uh, checking out the website or following on social media. So I just want to share a fun fact that I was a lot of, um, I, I did a lot, of, a lot of musical director gigs after I graduated from Berkeley College of Music. And oh, most wonderful. of the musical director jobs, thank you. Most of the musical director job was a piano player and a conductor and then, you know, teaching choir and stuff that it was, you know, a lot of Broadway shows, um, you know, local theater, like, you know, King and I, Gypsy, like famous ones um, into oh. the woods. But I just want to echo uh, one project that I've done that was very, very special was called Surviving the Nian. And then it was created by Melissa Lee. And then she is Asian gay that um, featured about um, the struggle of Asian female uh, who found uh, that she was gay after coming in to coming to America and then bringing her black girlfriend to Chinese New Year in China. And that's the musical. It's called Surviving the Nia. And then I remember meeting with Melissa. She is, uh, she was 19 at that time. And I remember right. having her musical score, bits and pieces. And I remember helping her uh, going into the full production. And Jonathan Larson, who passed. Uh, oh, I know the name, sure create a, a rent the musical yeah. rent. uh his family started a foundation jonathan larson foundation sure. the melissa lee received five thousand dollars 
grant um, as a new musical, original musical. So we were able to utilize that grant. And then we had a four month of performance in Boston. So that was very, Amazing. very Wow. Oh. Well, sounds like you and I need to have a conversation that won't be recorded for the general public to listen to. Uh, to talk shop and talk about musical development. Um, but that's exciting that we have that commonality. I think I noticed something about music as I was looking at your Facebook profile and so forth. And I thought, oh, we have something in common. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. So, Ben, I appreciate you sharing about your musical journey, but let's dive into our first question, which is the Please. adversity. So, what was your adversity? I mentioned earlier that I've developed this musical and uh, things are going really well. We had one workshop in Portland, Oregon, with about a uh, hundred or so people. And then we had another workshop locally in Columbia, Maryland with a more robust cast, with more songs, with more dialogue, 200 people, standing room only. And that was the most triumphant night of my life other than my marriage and the birth of my daughter and that was january 20th 2020 so we know that two months later all of live performance was shut down when the covid pandemic came in so the adversity i want to talk about tonight was a particular what i would call creative adversity um the dream of my project which had been at that point six or seven years in development and fits and starts in the co-writes and the revisions and presentations and on and on nearly seven years leading up to this night that felt so triumphant you know on january 21st the following morning i felt like i was walking on air i was so buoyant and so excited about what would happen next with the project and honestly in february i was spending the month making calls and emails and connecting with people who had been in the audience and planning for the next moves. So nothing prepared me for the level of disappointment um, that, that came with the news that not only was there this terrible disease coming around, that was bad news, but for my particular dream that seemed to have been taking off on a rocket ship, well, it was now hitting a proverbial brick wall. Um, you know, as I was preparing for this, I want to say in, in the world of chaplaincy, we, we are taught not to compare troubles and not to compare, to use your word, adversities. But I, I, as I got ready for this interview, Jerry, I, I was thinking to myself, is my disappointment, is my adversity like anything compared to some of the other guests? And then I thought to myself, it's not really important because everyone's struggles when they're going through it are powerful and serious and momentous to them. And I can tell you that whatever judgy voice I used to evaluate the pain I went through, I can tell you there were a whole lot of tears shed over what was happening or not happening with my project. Um, and it wasn't all at once, right? We may, if, if we recall the beginning of the pandemic, no one knew right from the beginning how awful it was going to be. No one, certainly no one in the performing arts community anticipated over a year of shuttered theaters and so forth. 
Um, so it was a very dark time. Um, I mean, I think it was dark um, both because of the dramatic... I'm, I'm doing this gesture. I know some of you are just listening and some of you are watching. But for those of you listening, I'm doing a little bit of a roller coaster gesture up and down. So the up, 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 up was the exhilarating climb to that big performance. And the feeling that off of a standing room only performance after um, standing ovation, to be honest, and people hugging and kissing and crying and all of that love and exaltation, it felt like for sure this thing was taking off, for sure this thing was ready to do great things. Um, and then the fall was not the exhilarating fall of a roller coaster, but more like the bottom falling out of an elevator shaft. Um, so it was disappointing. And the other thing is... Um, I mean, you can probably relate, Jerry, having been in the theater and music world. You know that it's a team sport, so to speak. Um, maybe with the exception of the one-man show. But even that, you know, you need your stage manager and the person to put on the lights. Um, but certainly with an ensemble show, it's a, a major team endeavor. And we had worked for maybe only four or five weeks of weekly rehearsals. You know, it wasn't fully staged. We we held books, but we still bonded and made, you know, wonderful friendships. We were all hugging and crying after that. It was a one night only performance. So we were all emotional when it was done. And so like there was that letdown that always happens after a play ends and you say goodbye to the cast and everyone cries like you'll because you'll never have the magic of that particular production again, right? So that initial falling off happened, but I had it in my mind like, okay, but we'll pick this up again for the next performance. Because in my mind, the next performance was going to be another three or six months away, no big deal. It was, it seemed inevitable. So there was the disappointment that the, trajectory seemed to be stopping. There was the loneliness of losing the ensemble and the team. Um, and in a certain sense, maybe this might have been connected to the bleakness of the pandemic. But very quickly, the disappointment of coming off of that high of that big night and then realizing that there was going to be no performance for the future, it wasn't just disappointing. It felt devastating. And um, maybe because I had such a vivid vision of that trajectory, I keep gesturing. It's like a up and away kind of gesture to the moon, uh, Buzz Lightyear style. Um it, it felt, it felt, you know, I had alluded to how long the play was in development. Um, I think that was part of what made the emotional fall so dramatic because it had been this slow build, this slow climb of creating this thing over many years, collaborating with a growing creative team where we were all as a team exultant after that um, Saturday evening show 
when it occurred, right? Um, but boy, when it all shut down, was it was it tough? It was really, I was really in a in a dark dark place. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, a lot of people who are not creators, they don't really get it. Um, it's almost like giving birth to, um, it's not a human being, but it's something different. And, you know, say for instance, um, when I write a song or when I produce an album, it's almost like a different baby. It's even if, if it's my book, it's my creation. It's like my baby. Or even when I had a nonprofit organization as a president and founder, it's a separate from human being, but it's a creation. It's like giving a birth. It's a lot of work and then a lot of um, transparency from your emotion and creativity that puts into this format, whatever the medium is, that you get so much of attachment and emotion to it. So it's almost like you are almost giving a birth or gave a little bit birth, but you cannot show it to people. And then it's really sad. And a lot of my friends, obviously, are in the entertainment world. And then a lot of touring musicians, entertainers, um, like myself included, like we lost a job and then as an actor as well, like movie jobs and then everything. So it was hard. It was really um, something. And then I felt, and as a journalist too, um, I covered so many stories during the pandemic and I featured so many people's human interest story in regards to pandemic and it was a global not just maryland not just yeah oxborough it's just all over the world that we had right. together but then as an artist um and then as somebody who had created something just to echo you my son got this big 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 job before the pandemic hit mm. signed a contract and it didn't happen yeah. for two years. <laughs> and then we gave up. It was for the Nesson Clubhouse uh, to be a reporter for Boston Red Sox. Mm. And it was a dream job. And he had auditioned three times. And then he signed a contract literally like March, like February, March 2020, right? And then... Just before. Yeah. And then, well, maybe we'll open up a month. Maybe we will open up soon or something. Yeah. And then it was two years. And then we thought like he would never get it. But then they luckily asked him to audition again, two Zoom calls. And now he's in his second season. Oh, good. Emmy nominated. It was great. But um, it was, yeah. I remember the feeling of devastation, like you said. Of, yeah. Oh my gosh, what, what happened? <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. It was, was just so bad and you remember uh you mentioned a little bit about you were crying and then felt devastated can you explain a little bit about your mental health stage if you recall i don't know if you took had absolutely absolutely yeah 
So, I mean, I'm I'm comfortable talking about mental health stuff. Um, you know, I'm a um, high functioning uh, adult with an assortment of mental health challenges. Uh, I've dealt with anxiety and depression for most of my life. Um, I'm medicated for both of those. Um, I, you know, also find comfort and help in cannabis. Um, so different things help my mental health and all of that was important along with ongoing support from my therapist, my father-in-law, my wife, um, and, you know, having a team in place has always been important for me. I call it team Ben. And I think, um, I don't know if we're up to the, is this the, how did I get through it part or we're, we're kind of tiptoeing up to it. Well, um, we were talking about adversity, but you mentioned that you cried after you learned about, you know, world shutting down and oh, then yeah. you are devastated. So do you recall? So I would, I would identify it as, as grief. Um, actually, you know, as I've been talking about this project, a lot of the podcasts I've, I've been speaking on have been on that theme of grief because um, the, the musical itself travels heavily in those themes. You know, it takes place in a residential hospice. The chaplain has his own grief issues, and then he's trying to minister to those dealing with this stuff. So I, I've been swimming in those issues and thinking about them as a chaplain, as a playwright. One of the things you learn when you study grief is it's not just about dead people. Um, you can grieve places, you can grieve experiences, you can grieve ages and stages of life. You can also grieve dreams. Um, there's that famous, I think it's Lorraine Hansberry quote, what happens to a dream deferred? Um, and it's, uh, you know, I have certainly cried in my life. I'm I'm a sensitive flower, like so many, you know, singer, actor, teacher types. Um, I cry for sad movies. I even cry for rom coms, right? So the fact of tears was not super um, unique in my life, but the the quantity of tears and the intensity had to do not just with the disappointment, but like the feeling at the time things felt so bleak. And maybe you remember this from watching your son and his disappointment because no one could give a good answer about when this thing was going to end. It felt like it might as well be forever that the world was going to be shut down. I remember jury talking early on with a, actually my original collaborator, his name is Jason Spiewak. In addition to being a wonderful composer, he's a pretty savvy, successful music business guy in New York City. So he promotes some touring artists. He, um, he does that kind of thing, um, manages them. And so he and I were on the phone together one month into this mess. And I was sharing with him how sad I was about this project that he and I had co-written um, was hitting the, the wall, so to speak. And he was like, yeah, man, it's a shit show out there. Um, Sorry for cussing, but it's it's just a mess. Um, I mean, he was someone whose living depended on managing touring musicians. So he was making zero dollars all of a sudden. And talking about how 
he was on the phone every day trying to reschedule for next year, not knowing if those would eventually be scheduled for another year down the road. That was what he was busy with. And he said, I've never been more depressed or more discouraged in this business ever, but I have to keep pretending that the future will eventually come and that eventually clubs will open up again. Because if I don't pretend that that's going to happen, I won't know what to do with myself. And um, that kind of like, hopefulness, despite all the evidence to the contrary, seemed to be one of the techniques or tricks that that we tried to use during that time. Well, thank you so much. It's not just entertainment business, but say I worked at like the hotel and then venues and the restaurants, obviously. And I did Uber Eats, ton of Uber Eats during the pandemic, like thousands of them. And then the whole restaurant was shut down. And I remember like a lot of business actually closed down or even like say preschools, yeah. you know, like, ho- like hotel, like wedding venues, like forget about it because mm-hmm. you can't have more than what whatever the, the number of people. And then... um it was just so much of not knowing what what's going on and on top of it on top of it asian discrimination asian hate started to happen and i'm asian obviously and then it's it was just such a weird you know time and then to be honest with you i remember my daughter like she has never being in a school without a mask until her first grade. She's never seen people without a mask for her social life hmm. because it started with um, like essential, as I declared myself as essential worker, as an Uber driver, Uber Eats driver, because all of the entertainment business shut down. So one of the Massachusetts governor's PDF file, I looked at it and then saw the food delivery was one of the essential business. So I declared myself. And then I remember dropping my kids off at like essential emergency um, daycares. Um, So then I realized when my daughter, um, when mask was off, like the first grade, and mommy, that teacher had mustache. Like, was just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't realize. And then the magnitude of especially children's development, entertainment, and everything that you can't even see people smiling or communication half down, that is so impactful. And then I feel like because of that, a lot of assaults and bullying within kids started to happen after was too mm. so it's very interesting phenomena that we all together experience and you know i just want to also highlight about depression and isolation that you mentioned yeah. that a lot of 911 calls in terms of the mental health crisis and suicidal thoughts and 
you know, obviously depression, not knowing what's going on. Like we went together and I feel like the mental health talk had gotten so much more forefront after the pandemic. Yes. Or also during the pandemic. So you mentioned about sharing those thoughts with your creative friends. And then um, did you write a journal like during that time or something that you remember like exactly how well you felt, like you know how you were feeling? Right. So I, I did not I did not journal at the time, but I'll tell you that in addition to sharing with my creative partner, Jason, um, my other primary composer, another wonderful musician, his name is Michael Miller. He's out of New York State. Um, he, in addition to co-writing this musical, which was about to launch prior to COVID, um, he completed his first solo album. Um, and he's a little older than me. So he was in his early 60s and completed this amazing achievement as a solo composer to make an album and, and like real recording and everything, beautiful music. It went to bed or finished recording like late February. So he and I shared the exciting phone call that January night. Then he was on a plane to Boston to record in, in that area um, with a mutual friend of ours. Uh, so he was also kind of, on the cusp of his dream. I mean, he didn't have dreams of becoming like a major touring artist, but you know, you make a recording, you want to share it with the world. You want to put on some concerts, you want to present it. So that was impossible for him. And he didn't have the motivation or the technical savvy to like tour online as some artists attempted to do. Um, and then the other person, another creative person who supported me tremendously, I want to give a shout out to was my coach, her name is Alex Palting, and actually I'm very excited to say that while she and I shared the dream deferred moment when she was my coach and I was on the other side of this back and forth, um, she told me in our initial conversation that she could relate because she she's a professional actress. She had just been cast in an off-Broadway show, and then that contract got terminated because of the covid well, I'm happy to say Alex created something during COVID that got picked up and it's now at an off-Broadway women's theater festival. So a different work, but um, that's exciting for her. And um, I guess I mention it <laughs> because she deserves to have a spotlight and also because we all sort of went through this trial by fire, so to speak, Um and this it certainly felt like a rupture and a major interruption, a pause on the the dreams that we had, the pursuits that we were pursuing. So when I was working with Alex um, in the capacity of coach, um, the first few sessions were mostly about me feeling sad. And there were some tears shared over the Zoom calls. And she nodded knowingly and talked about how she could relate because she had her Broadway or off-Broadway dreams shattered as well. And then when she was ready for it, she said, okay, Ben, here's the big question. Do you want to take that project of yours and put it in the drawer and shut the drawer 
and then open the drawer when this thing is over. And that might not be for one year or two years or three years. Are you okay with just waiting until quote regular theaters back? Or do you want to talk about pivoting so you can try to share it in an online virtual format? So my initial reaction was like, no, thank you. That sounds terrible. Um, despite being only 43, I'm a little bit old fashioned, a little bit like a grumpy old man. So all the technology was very intimidating and discouraging to me. Uh, but she said, no, Ben, it's, she's like, no one wants to be doing this right now. We all want to be live in theaters, but since we can't, if you want to share your work, let's do this. So I decided to listen to her and boy, am I glad I did because after about a month of reworking it, I took what was a two hour and 20 minute full length musical with 16 songs and dialogue an ensemble cast. And I smushed it down to eight songs, one man show um, with narration in between so that I could perform it from this very room standing across the room, you know, with the laptop on a, ironing board and a black curtain on the back wall, give it a nice look. And I performed it in that condensed one man version nearly a dozen times over the year and change that we were on lockdown uh, for all kinds of venues, including some professional conferences, some schools, a senior center, hospital, um, that kind of different place. And um, I'll tell you that I didn't, I didn't like it very much at first performing for this little white dot. Um, and I got used to it, right? Between the cabaret performances and also at the time I was still working at my local synagogue. So I was leading worship through the computer once a week with my guitar, singing in Hebrew. And, and I just kind of developed that muscle that I think TV hosts and radio people have had for years, right? Being able to interact with that sort of disembodied listener or viewer. Um, so that was a skill I had to develop. And I'll tell you, um, it was so important to be able to connect with audiences, even in that limited fashion. I mean, people would fill up the chat with like applause emojis or tear emojis or heart emojis or laughter emojis, depending on the kind of song. And that, that was nice to get that feedback. Um, and then when it was done, you know, I would X out of the meeting and kind of sit in that sort of post-performance haze that a lot of us get. And it was remarkable to me because um, I wasn't putting it all out there in the way one does live in front of an audience. That, I think, kicks up another level of adrenaline, having that human interaction that you see and feel and hear. Um, but I was surprised to discover that after I did this, you know, it's not even an hour, it's like 50-minute show, um, that I was wiped uh, I mean, it turns out singing eight songs at a pretty good level and the lively banter in between, that's plenty to exhaust you. But I, I guess it was also just discovering that um, 
being fully in it as a performer, even in a virtual setting, was uh, still high level performance. And of course, I always wanted to bring that that best self to those performances. Um, so, you know, it was a uh, it was an uncomfortable adjustment to switch from being in front of people to being in my lonely basement performing for the white dot, but it was the best we could do at the time. And having those performances, um, even though they weren't the dream, um, it was something rather than nothing. And so the project was kept out of the proverbial drawer. Uh, the other strategy that Alex uh, suggested that I move forward with was spreading the word and planting seeds for the future. Um, and I did better at spreading the words and planting seeds. Uh, it felt difficult to kind of make plans, not knowing when those plans could come real. But what I could do is talk about the thing a lot on podcasts. And I got involved with Instagram and found that a lot of podcasts had Instagram accounts and I could connect. And because my story is kind of unique, a lot of people, um, responded. And uh, so if anyone checks out my website, um, if you're interested in learning more about the project, you have at least a 10 or maybe more by now podcasts to choose from uh, with different focuses. But, you know, again, it's been wonderful to talk about the project, not knowing who might hear it. Um, that's that's been uh, some important advice that I've heard repeated by a lot of smart, creative people um, to talk about my project again and again, as if it's still exciting to me and still new to me because my audience hasn't heard about it before, even if I've been talking about it for like 10 years now. So I try to remind myself of that as I share. Um, and, you know, it's again, um, acknowledging that, the conversation through this funny looking microphone or uh, through the laptop, not as lovely and lively as being in person face to face. Um, and maybe if I'm lucky someday, Jerry, I'll get to meet you face to face uh, in Boston or thereabouts. Um, but short of that, I think one of the upsides of the COVID time is discovering just how connected we can be through the computer, through the podcast, through the virtual whatever. Um, my wife and I were just laughing the other night about the wacky um, Zoom dance parties. Did you ever go to one of those, Jerry? Okay, so my brother hosted like a dance party for his birthday during COVID, and it was really silly. Um and then like the host could highlight one person. So then you'd like get up to the, to the camera and do some silly moves like on one of those uh, soul train kind of shows. Um, but we were remembering it like the whole notion of dancing for the computer was totally absurd, but it was like a fun thing that we did because we couldn't do anything else. And we wanted to have a party. Um, I kind of think the same way about those performances at the time but here's the crazy thing. Now it's just sort of something that people are used to. So as I'm spreading the word on all these podcast appearances this summer, Jerry, I'm telling people to get in touch to book me for a live performance or a virtual performance because I can do either. And um, 
you know, that's that's sort of an exciting new thing for performers that we are able to be so nimble that, you know, if you were to message me tonight, Jerry, about appearing tomorrow afternoon, I can see if I'm free and I can I can make it happen. So that's an exciting upside from the pandemic, becoming skilled at working the camera and doing the virtual performance making these connections through Instagram, through podcasts and so forth. Um, and now uh, I'm, I'm happy to say we, we've come out the other end and um, I've begun doing live performances. Um, I was selected to appear at Asheville Fringe Festival this spring, which was exciting. And I got to perform twice there to good acclaim from nice audiences. And I hope to appear at the local Fringe Festivals in, in DC and Baltimore in the coming year as well as arranging some other uh, performances of different types. So I'm keeping the project going and I'm excited and motivated about that. And so to return to your kind of meta theme here, part of making it through the adversity was staying connected um, with my community. Um, in my case, there was my existing support network, what I call Team Ben, and that was, you know, wife, daughter, father-in-law, um, and then, uh, you know, therapist, um, maybe a, an old childhood buddy. Those people are the kind of people I would reach out to just in general in life. Um, and then because this particular kind of adversity had the specificity of the creative struggle and disappointment connecting with the two composers, Jason and Michael on a regular basis throughout the pandemic was important for all three of us. Um, I think at one point we even did like a group call and laughed about our shared miseries. And uh, with the coach who I mentioned, uh, you know, even though it was a remunerative relationship and worth every penny, I might add, um, the exchange between Alex and I about, you know, about our shared disappointment and, and I'm so glad jury that, <laughs> that coincidentally you happen to be a person in the arts and that you could validate my adversity because I, I had sort of hemmed and hawed before, like, is it as bad as the other stuff? And so, of course, like Alex could understand because her lifetime dream was going to Broadway or off Broadway. She was on her way and she had missed that. Michael's lifelong dream of having an album had happened and then it was paused. Jason's livelihood was taken away from him. So all of us, because of our particular focuses in the creative and lively arts, we were just all really in a bad way. So having connections um, with a community of people we could relate to was super, super important. That made all the difference. The other thing I think was also, um, and, and this, this I think is, is related to the creative piece, um, creating and writing and drawing and making, um, in my mind is always an act of faith. Um, in fact, in my musical, we use some botanical metaphors where the, the main character is planting daffodils in the opening scene and they, they bloom in the final 
in, in the end of the play, a, a symbol of hope, despite all of the losses that have transpired. So I, I tend to think that um, creative people, when we write a song, when we take an idea from our brain and then, uh, what is it, connect the pencil to his temple, um, and and then write it down, um, it's it's an act of creation and it's an act of faith, um, believing that your idea is worth taking from brain to paper. And then if you're brave enough from paper to out loud or paper to audience or paper to sharing. Um, and I say faith because you have to believe that it will be received and welcomed. Um, I used to, in my former life as a clergy person, I would often teach sermons on various botanical metaphors because I happen to love gardening and trees and whatnot. Um, and they're big in Judaism. You know, the tree of life is a, is a symbol for the Torah or a nickname for the Torah. Anyway, there's a famous story about an old man who plants a carob tree by seed. And a young man sees him and teases him and says, you silly old man, why are you planting that tree? You won't live to eat its fruit. And the old man says, well, I enjoy fruit today because an old man planted a tree before he died. And um, that's, that's sort of big picture planting. But part of what I love about that is you never know when you plant the seed of your creative works how it might grow and who it might impact. Um, but we still have faith that it's worth doing and worth putting out there in the world. Um, so, you know, even though things were unknown and we all felt like we're in this weird creative purgatory, one of the things that helped a lot of us, present company including, included was to keep creating. So I um, found a new friend to collaborate with in a Facebook musical theater group, and we started writing a new musical. It hasn't gone that far, but we co-wrote a few songs and that felt fun. And we worked on a few other projects. And um, I know I did, I was doing a bunch of sketching and was listening to a lot of music and reading a ton. And, um, but there, you know, even if I couldn't go see more theater, I could listen to more theater, like more soundtracks and so forth. So part of, um, you know, I there was definitely a little bit of pressure out there, like, what are you going to do with your time at home? Um, but I tried, tried to respond to that opportunity by really going deep into this new focus in my life. Like I'd always loved theater, but this was my first musical. So I said like, all right, well, I've got some extra time. How can I go deeper into this? So I tried to really become a student of musical theater. And I listened to a ton of scores that I hadn't before. And I read books about it and I listened to on audiobooks to memoirs and so forth. Um, watch movie musicals that I could get my hands on streaming and so forth. Um, because- I just want to- uh, Yeah. A little bit because um 
So we are going into the second question a little bit. So I want to segue into the second question. You kind oh, of get a little bit. But uh, my second question on this podcast, which is the tools that you use to overcome adversity. So I know you kind of uh, mentioned a little bit during the first question, but what are the top tools that you use to overcome the adversity that you can share with the audience? I'd say the top tool was finding my community and embracing it. Um, in my case, the community included my creative team, my fellow composers, and my coach. Um, and it also included my pre-existing support community, what I'd mentioned earlier, Team Ben. Uh, and not being afraid to um, reach out to them. Uh, we spoke earlier in our conversation about the loneliness that so many of us felt during uh, the pandemic. So having, um, despite being a cisgender hetero man, I'm pretty good at asking for help and talking about my feelings. Uh, but I think for some people, it was an isolating, lonely time, and it might have been hard for them to reach out. I don't know. I I spent a lot of time on the phone connecting with people in my own network. And also um, part of connecting with community was being a help to others. Um, there's a wonderful self-help author named Gabby Bernstein. And one of my favorite quotes from her is, when you're feeling helpless, help someone. I'll say it again, because I think it's gold. When you're feeling helpless, help someone. And um, that was a piece of wisdom that felt very important during the pandemic. Um, for instance, when I felt lonely and when I felt like I didn't know what to do next, I had a list of congregants from the synagogue where I, I had been working who were older, who were a little bit lonely, who needed to be checked up on. So I could go for a walk, put my headset in, my phone in the pocket, and give someone a call give myself some exercise and know that that conversation extending my company through the telephone to someone who was stuck at home would brighten their day. And, um, you know, all that nice feelings coming off of them would, would help to brighten my spirit as well. Um, I felt the same way connecting with my, my friends, you know, it, in a different kind of way, the, the commiseration, uh, sharing the troubles was helpful. Um, and then I guess the last piece of, of the community that, that I, I, I kind of alluded to in passing earlier, there were new ways to connect during COVID that a lot of us discovered. Um, you know, the synagogue where I was still working, we quickly pivoted to virtual worship. So in that role, I was using my voice and my skills as a prayer leader with the new tech adaptation to create connection within a community of people spread out. We couldn't gather in the synagogue sanctuary anymore, as had been customary previously. So it was a wonderful thing that we were able to gather, especially when so many people talked about feeling isolated and lonely. Uh, that felt like a, an anchor to every week, Friday afternoon, getting ready for my Friday evening service and then greeting everyone warmly, kind of looking into the screen like, hello, <laughs> seeing who's in there. 
uh, finding that community really made all the difference. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So my last question is a gift that came from the adversity. So Ben, what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? Hmm. I had to learn so many different, um, it wasn't just new things, but it, it were, it was some pretty major changes in how I was going to do this project, how I was going to move forward. So that maybe the gift was discovering, um, It was like dis discovering that one, I didn't, I mean, I already, let me preface this by saying, I knew that I didn't have all the answers. However, as a creative, as the guy who had the big idea and had the words to the songs and so forth, I was in the role of knowing what I wanted for my project and knowing what my dream looked like and knowing the trajectory. So realizing when this external thing happened, the pandemic happened and everything was, our whole realities was shaken up, shaken up, shaken up. Um, walking through these troubles um, and making it through successfully, I was only really able to do it leaning heavily on others. Um, and and while leaning heavily on them, also kind of standing up tall, um, <laughs> it's a mixed metaphor perhaps, but with the help of others, standing up tall again, perhaps, um, to do something new that I couldn't. I mean, I was laughing about how I'm 43, and, but I was a real like tech technophobe um, when... The, the same coach said, you should try Instagram. I was like, I don't do Instagram. And she's like, you don't do Instagram yet. And now it's like a very important part of my project. But that took a few years of experimentation and learning and so forth. Um, same with being skilled on the computer through that white dot. Like that took a lot of practice and getting over the, the hurdle of the tech phobia, the anxiety about that the awkwardness. Um, but, you know, with the encouragement of, of my team and I, I guess also kind of slogging through it, I, this doesn't feel like particularly novel advice, but um, there's a, a favorite musical theater lyric I like to quote from the brilliant uh, Avenue Q, that is the R-rated puppet musical, for those who don't know. And there's a very funny song called It's Only For Now. And I found myself singing that again and again during the pandemic. Like it felt horrible to not be able to do what you wanted to do, but it was only for now. Now, we didn't know how long only for now was going to last. It lasted longer than we wanted. But I, I think for for all of us who lived through that crazy time, to to me, one of the biggest lessons is that 
most of us can make it through nearly anything one day at a time with the help of our loved ones, um, with the help of our team. Uh, so, you know, the, the particular adversity that I dealt with might have been unique, but I think all of us had a rupture to our lives in some kind of way during that unusual time. And, um, you know, I think it, it was a reminder of how important community is. Um, the other thing that I just want to bring up that comes to mind, um, this time, the sort of global time of pandemic, not just the Ben Kintish experience of it, I think a lot of us were paying attention to illness and mortality with closer attention than had ever, than had previously been seen. Um, and that's been important for my work as a chaplain, as a purveyor of a musical that deals with mortality, death and dying and so forth. So that's been sort of an unexpected additional gift from the adverse time that was COVID that people seem more ready to have those difficult conversations. Well, thank you very much. And then I really wish you all the success in all the um, network that you had built um, during the pandemic, um, even virtually would continue to blossom. And then a lot of us, like you said, had learned how to live virtually, but now after the pandemic, mixture of those are benefiting a lot of us as an artist as well. So I really wish you all the best and um, continued your success. Thank you so much, Jerry. Absolutely. And thank you to our audience for tuning into A Gift from Adversity. We'll see you next time.